Hello and welcome back to the Delaware Football Roundup by WVUD Sports. I'm sports director and executive editor Brandon Hovick, joined today by Nick Delaglio, who's making his Delaware Football Roundup debut to help me break down Delaware's 37 to nothing victory over Lafayette in Week 2 to move the Blue Hens to 1-1 and on the season. Nick, obviously a huge win for the Blue Hens to get after that disappointing loss against Rhode Island in Week 1, and they do it in dominant shutout fashion. 100%. I mean, <clears throat> I don't think you could ask for a better game. You know, obviously the loss against Rhode Island was a gut punch. You really didn't like to see that. But you wanted Delaware to come out with a lot of grit, you know, both on offense and defense. You wanted them to come out with a lot of firepower. And we saw that from the jump. I mean, they scored, on, I think, on their first offensive possession. And they really never looked back. 37 nothing's about as good as it gets. And really good game from Delaware. You were on the call for WVUD two days ago with Jake and the atmosphere maybe wasn't what you'd expect it to be or want it to be heading into the season. It was a rainy, cold afternoon, the first we've had here this fall in Newark. But you know, what types of things, we'll get into a lot of specifics throughout this game, but in, a, in an overall sense, what types of things from an energy standpoint or just an overall team perspective stood out to you uh, coming out in that 37 to nothing win? I just think the energy of the team was definitely there. They, You know, in the locker room, they were probably like themselves – we know we have to win this game. I know we called it almost a must-win game after the Rhode Island loss. And I think this is going to be good for the fans, honestly, too. I feel like if you're a student here, you look at the score, you say, oh, we won 37 nothing." Maybe that's you know more of an incentive to go out, you know, see their next couple home games and stuff like that. So I think overall it really helped them, you know, just how they won 37 nothing. The Blue Hens have one more home game before they go on the road. So they open the season with a three-game homestand, which they've split the first two in next week. It'll be Cornell then in a away game against North Dakota State before the open date when Delaware resumes CAA play and plays most of their CAA schedule. And there's a lot of positive takeaways to pull from this one into that Cornell game, starting with the offense and quarterback Pat Kehoe, who in his second career start goes 18 of 28 for 279 passing yards. It's the most passing yards by a Delaware quarterback since Trent Hurley in 2014, who put up 295 against James Madison. So it's by far the most that I've seen by a Delaware quarterback mm-hmm. since I've been here in my four years, and Nick, definitely in your two years here. Describe Pat Kehoe's play yesterday. Uh, Kehoe played, I think, really well. Uh, obviously, you said his stats. They were up there, three touchdowns. And the throws he made, I just think, some of them were difficult, and he was able to make them. I mean, the receivers made heck of catches, but he put the balls where he knew the receiver would be able to make a play on them. He said, you know, they might have to make a difficult catch here and there, but he put them there. And he was right on the money. I mean, most of his throws, I forget how many incompletions he had. I think, was it 10? 10, yeah. 10. So, I mean, yeah, 18 for 20, I think it was. So, overall, really good game from Kehoe. <clears throat> Didn't, uh, he had that one turnover, which really wasn't kind of his fault. He got hit from the blind side. But besides that, I lo- really liked how he played. In the first two games of the season, just that one turnover, too, for mm-hmm. Kehoe. Uh, maybe in a comparison to what we saw from J.P. Caruso last year, what are your, your thoughts, your feelings through two games with Kehoe? It hasn't been a huge sample size, but, I mean, so far so good from my perspective. I definitely like the type of thrower he is. I think he's a lot more consistent than Caruso was. And like you said, only one turnover through the first two games. So I think, you know, he really values keeping, uh, protecting the ball and realizes how important it is to not turn the ball over. And I really like that from him so far. Is there anything coming out of this game that you still look at from him as places to improve upon? I mean, he's, he's not been perfect, but this is some of the best quarterbacking we have seen, albeit against lower-level opponents, but some of the best mm. quarterbacking even against lower-level opponents in past seasons that we've seen in these last three or four years for Delaware. So is there still places that you look at that could help you know, expand or open this offense up even more than it has been through two weeks? 
Oh, I, I definitely agree. I think that he's definitely played well, but the biggest thing I think in improvement for him is deep ball. The deep ball is not that accurate. I mean, it's hard to throw, you know, a good football 30, 40 yards down the field. And I think one play, I forget who the receiver was. It might have been in the first quarter. He overthrew one of the receivers he had in the end zone. And, you know, you'd like to see your quarterback make that throw, but then again, it's a difficult throw. So one thing that you could maybe improve on is his deep ball. Here's Coach Danny Rocco Monday morning talking about his quarterback through two weeks. I'd say he's right on track. I mean, I wouldn't have made the decision uh, to name him our starting quarterback if I didn't think he could deliver and play winning football, you know. So um, I, he's protected the ball well. Uh, you know, he hasn't uh, been uh, – he's been very uh, aware of, you know, where to throw the football. Um, and uh, he's made good decisions. So, Nick, some of the same things you were talking about, protecting the football, mm-hmm. and when he has had to step back and throw the ball down the field, he's he's typically been able to find where the open man is and more often than not deliver a ball close enough, at least for the receiver to make a play. Yeah, I think Coach Rocco put it well. He said he's not necessarily exceeding expectations because this is what he almost expected him to do. He expected him to come in there, you know, compete for us and help us win football games. So I think Coach Rocco put it really well there. Once Delaware got up and ahead in this game, they really went to the ground, and that's where we saw Dejon Lee have, in somewhat of in a way, a breakout game, especially in the first half. Mm-hmm. 11 carries, 93 yards. All of those came in the first. Kanai Kane still contributes a solid day with 17 carries, and we see a little bit of Corey Sproul at the end of the day. But it really belonged to, to uh, excuse me, Dejon Lee, who now through two weeks of this season has just 18 carries, but 154 rushing yards. He's averaging 8.7 yards per carry. I mean, that guy, he's, he is explosive. He's given Delaware an extra element to this offense. And yet again, the Blue Hens come out here at the beginning of the season with another running back that looks to have star potential. Yeah, I absolutely love how Dejon Lee played. I think he just adds, like you said, an extra element, you know, Kanai Kane's kind of that ground-and-pound power type running back, and then you bring in Lee, who's more of that speedster. You know, you throw him a couple tosses to the outside, a couple stretches, and even when they ran him up the gut, he was getting through. And he's, yeah. not, he's not, I think he's 5'8", I think, when we looked at it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for someone like his size to actually get through, like, the middle of the pack there, it's really good. He's really a very agile back, and he, his cuts are very precise, and I think that's what makes him really effective coming out of the backfield. Yeah, it seemed to me like there were some of those runs that were still kind of power-oriented runs that he was just hitting that hole so quickly that he was bursting through the line and he'd be five, six, seven yards down mm-hmm. the field already. And they weren't different types of runs than what they'd give to a Kanai Kane or a Corey Sproul. But he he was just dashing up the field and he's got such quickness and explosiveness uh, and that acceleration that we you know, not that many players on mm-hmm. either side of the ball can match. Yeah, especially when he ran up the gut a couple of times. You know, he gets tackled, and he falls forward, too. And then it's really good awareness by the running back, you know, to fight for those extra, you know, one or two yards off a five- or six-yard run initially, so you make it seven or eight yards. And I think that really helped him, too, overall, and I think that was another reason why he played really well. I asked Coach Rocco today if there was a sweet spot or kind of a goal as far as targets for him, because or a target in amount of carries uh-huh. for him, because of his size, right? You don't, You wouldn't think of him as that 20-25 touch per game kind of running back, you almost think of him as as a Darren Sproles mm-hmm. type or, you know, name, name insert, yeah. receiving Deion back Lewis. here. Exactly. Deion Lewis, Chris Thompson, yeah. all those guys. He, he fits that mold more than your every down back. Mm-hmm. And Rocco said it's still something that 
they're experimenting with, something that it will continue to develop through the season, how they use these three running backs. But he looked at the split just on paper and said, yes, yeah, 17 for Kane, 11 for Lee, Sproul from, for eight. I wasn't looking at them play to play, but coming out of the game looking at that, like, yeah, that's pretty much what we would want to do in a, an ideal week. Mm-hmm. Kane being that every down, workhorse back first and second down, Lee getting his mix in there, and then Corey Sproul still adding maybe an extra element as the third back who gets a few opportunities later in this game. Mm-hmm. And then after that, they still have Kareem Williams, <laughs> Thomas Jefferson, who was a CAA Offensive Rookie of the Year a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and Andre Robinson, who gets into this game as a transfer from Penn State. Uh, but those three guys at the top, they get that distribution of carries. And Lee, he's not going to ever really pass Kane. It doesn't seem as the every down back, but he could do it. Rocco said if they needed him to. But right now they love having him in that 10, 11 carries per game and being that spark or extra element to the offense. Yeah, and I think we probably could even saw more from Lee. I, I, I think he only came in probably once or twice in the second half because by that point, you know, they're up by a decent margin. But I definitely like where they're at here. I think, like you said, Kane leads the way. And then you mix in Sproul and Lee here and there. Lee definitely would be more of that pass down, you know, third down, third and short type running back. And then, like you said, there's even more guys on the depth chart. So I think that's what's so special about our running backs, too. You have so much depth here and there. You have so many weapons you can use. It keeps the defense on their toes, and it keeps them guessing. And I really like the running back core we have going so far. At this point last season, Delaware was two games in as they were, and they went and played Cornell at home like they will next week. Mm -hmm. And it was Kareem Williams who led the team with 15 carries for 121 rushing yards. That was his only game, I believe, above 100 rushing yards last season. 8.1 8.1 yards per carry, though, in that game. Thomas Jefferson was the next guy. Mm-hmm. 11 carries, 48 yards, 4.4 on average. Then Corey Sproul got seven. That was his first game action. And Kanai Kane, just five carries, 11 yards. But that was his breakout. Three touchdowns in that oh, game I against that Cornell. Game. And then he eventually, the next week against Stony Brook, got a little, or excuse me, against James Madison, got a little bit more cut of a pie. And then by Stony Brook, he was the first and second down running back. Mm-hmm. So in just 12 months, basically, Kareem Williams, Thomas Jefferson, haven't heard much from them, and I don't know if we will yeah. because here are these three guys, maybe four guys ahead of them that have been awfully productive for the Blue Hens. Um, to the receiving group, nine different guys caught passes from Pat Kehoe, or I guess I don't think J.P. Caruso or Nolan Henderson completed it. No, they didn't. Um, so nine different guys catch the 18 passes from Pat Kehoe, and through two weeks it's Vinny Papali who leads the team in receiving yards, but also seeing a lot of Charles Scarf out there in the first two weeks. Yeah, and I said this on the broadcast with Jake. You know, once we got into the third, second or third quarter, you started to notice that um, when it was third and you know a decent chunk, eight or nine yards, Keo looked for Papali uh, on his throws, and I th- and it connected on most of them. I think that's what's really special about them too. I think that you know, throughout, as the season goes on, I th- expect to see them, you know create some type of chemistry between them, you know, when it's third, like I said, third and eight, third and ten, and they need a big first down play, expect Kehoe to go to Papali. And obviously Joe Walker, you know, was in the mix there. And as you said, Charles Scarf, he had, I think, he had a, he scored a touchdown, right? Yeah. He had that nice touchdown catch. So, yep. you know, when you need, a, you need to throw it a big body, obviously you go to your tight end, and Kehoe really spread the wealth really well there. What does it say about the development of this Blue Hens offense to be able to complete passes to so many different receivers where in years past it's been a challenge at times just to complete nine passes in a game let alone going to different options and targets along the depth chart I think it really just shows how much depth we really have and you know each person's like next man up you have obviously the top guys and you have some guys in, in the back I think the the Molly scored a touchdown is that his last name right yeah yeah me and Jake first career yeah. catch when me and Jake saw him score we had to check down the depth chart <laughs> he was like the third tight end but I mean you love to see guys like that getting involved and making big plays 
And it just really shows how deep this team is. And they're just having fun playing with each other, too. So it's not like people, the receivers were selfish saying, oh, I want the ball more than this guy. I mean, they're all going out there, all making their catches, and it's leading the points. So the offense, uh, 37 points, 414 total yards, well outgaining the Lafayette Jaguars, who had 118 total yards. We'll get to the defense in a second. But also Delaware, before we turn the page, 9 for 16 on third downs. And I thought... I think it was either the last drive for Delaware of the second quarter or maybe even in the beginning of the third quarter. They had a drive where it was third and 12, mm-hmm. and Kehoe had a deep pass down the field. It was either to Papali or Scarf, and then I think Papali. And then the next set of downs, it's a third and four. It's to the other guy, and they march all the way down the field with these big third down conversions with vertical passing routes that, you know, even in games past seasons where Delaware wins against lower-ranked opponents like this Lafayette team, when they won last year against Delaware State 22-3, to mm-hmm. when they beat Cornell 41-14 to last year, when they beat Lafayette in years past, they haven't had those types of, like, third and 12. Everybody in the stadium knows this ball is passing down the field, and they still are able to pick it up. And you'd love to just finally see some of that from this Blue Hens offense uh, because, you know, Winning teams are going to be put in those situations, and you have to have an answer. You don't You don't have to be a pass-first team. This team won't ever be that. We talked about all those running backs mm-hmm, they have. Yeah. But at times, you need a third-and-long conversion. And it was nice to see in a couple of situations in this game the Blue Hens being able to put those up and move the sticks and continue some of these long 9, 10, 11-play drives. Yeah, and that really goes along with how versatile they are. Obviously, <clears throat> they're the run-first team we've always talked about, but them being able to throw it effectively on third down. I think coming out of the half, they were 6-for-8 on third down. So, you know, they had... They, it's really impressive. Yeah, they regressed in the second half. But then again, by that time, I think the score was already 28 nothing. So it didn't mean as much. But it's just great to see, you know, like you said, third and 12, you're picking it up. You have a really good chance of converting on it. And it just shows how good this offense is playing right now. The defense, as I mentioned, allowed just 118 total yards to Lafayette. They allowed negative 18 rushing yards, which is the eighth fewest ever, quote-unquote, allowed or not allowed by a Delaware defense all-time in this program, as many of you know, dates way back there into the early 1900s. I feel like that's high. <laughs> eighth, I saw that. I was like, wow. Yeah, and uh, four turnovers, too, which has been kind of a trademark of this team the last couple of years. They make plays for their offense. They didn't do it last week against Rhode Island, but they do it here against Lafayette. Here's head coach Danny Rocco talking not only about the suffocating nature of his defense, but how they fought all the way to the end and still made impact plays deep into the fourth quarter with their number one team. The thing that pleased me the most was how we finished. Um, There was a drive in the fourth quarter. It was probably the last drive our one defense was out there, and they were playing fast and hard. They threw a little hitch screen out to our sideline, and we had 11 guys just flying to the ball. And I think those were the things that were most pleasing to me, was just the overall effort. You look at the end of the game, and we all know in these games where the score gets a little lopsided in your favor, and you certainly want to be on that end of the stick, but those games are hard to close out. They're very seldom does it end the way you want it to end? Uh, even on that last punt, we got a couple of our premier players going down the field and downing that punt you know, inside the two-yard line. Um, 
So we finished really strong. Is there Rocco talking about that first team defense at the end of the game, basically making Lafayette one-dimensional and going to town in both the secondary that was unshakable and the, the front seven starting to get a little bit of pressure on the quarterback, especially when they got him up on the goal line and came away with that safety toward the end of the game. No, I, I love how uh, Coach Rocco put it. He said they fought to the end of the game. And how often do you see a team up 35 nothing and they cause a safety in the, uh, at the end of the fourth quarter? And then that just really On goes, a third down, yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. That really, and they almost had it on the fir- <laughs> uh, first and second down. So that really just goes to show how well and how hard this defense played start to finish. I think it was a statement for them. They said, you know, we didn't play our best against Rodan, but we had to come out, obviously, against a lesser opponent and play really well. And it, the numbers don't lie. They didn't give a point. Nas Adderley is responsible for two of the turnovers in this game. Obviously, a safety that got a lot of preseason recognition and will continue to get recognition throughout the season. Armin Ware also came up with a fumble recovery that was forced by Troy Reeder. And Johnny Buchanan, a backup linebacker, comes up with an interception. Ray Jones, Troy Reeder, the usual suspects with a lot of tackles in this one as well. Are there any players or position groups in particular that stood out to you Saturday afternoon? I really like how the secondary played. You know, there were some times where they gave up short passes, but whenever it was third and, you know, third and five, third and seven, they knew that it was time to lock that, lock up and not really give the receivers a lot of room. And I think that was really good. I, I forget what Lafayette's third down conversion was, but I don't believe it was that high. So I really like how the secondary played, you know, from start to finish in that game. Obviously, this Lafayette team is probably one of the worst, if not <laughs> the worst offense that Delaware is going to face this season. So the challenges will continue to get uh, improved or increased, however you want to put it, through the next couple of weeks, especially two weeks from now, and we all know mm-hmm. they're playing a team that's won six of the last seven national championships. <laughs> they tend to be pretty good. Yeah. Um, so you know, comparing this game to perhaps the last one or even what you saw last season from this defense, did it seem like, even though, yes, the, the team on the other side of the ball is not very good, did it seem like they were back on track as far as just – just the the fundamental parts of the defense or the playmaking parts of the defense, did it seem like this is something that will actually help them when they have to play teams that are going to put up a real fight, unlike Lafayette? Yeah, I think they looked really well, and I think they're really good. Um, the fundamentals, like you said, I think that was a big thing. You didn't really see many plays where a receiver got loose deep and then Lafayette made a play on them. They really locked up there, and Really, the front seven played really well. So I think as a whole group, the fundamentals were strong. The playmakers, you know, when they need plays, they made plays. Obviously, Adderley had a heck of an interception in the end zone to keep Lafayette out of, out of there and not score any points that drive. So I think overall, uh, I'm impressed by what they're doing. and it's, it's expected. They're playing really well. Is there anything else on the defense that you wanted to mention? I just like to have, like, we would talk about the depth on the offensive side. I think the yeah. defense side is just as deep. Obviously, like you said, Johnny Buchanan had a pick in the fourth quarter with probably five or six minutes left. So it's really nice to see guys like him getting in there and making plays for them late in that game. So now Delaware moves to game three of the season, which is against the Cornell Big Red, a team that hasn't played a game yet this season, but last year was not one of the better teams in their conference, the Ivy League. Delaware comes in as the heavy favorites, having won last year 41-14. to We've talked about it before this past game, after the Rhode Island game, that these next two were basically must-wins if this team wants to go to the playoffs. On that front, really nothing's changed, right? This is a game that Delaware has to go in and win against Cornell? Oh, yeah, 100% agreed. It's a must-win, and just carry what you did from uh, Lafayette into this game, and they should have no issue. It's at home. Hopefully better weather for those 
Blue Hen faithful, a lot of what Jake and I talked about after week one was how deflating a loss that was for just not only the team, but for maybe more so the fan base mm-hmm. looking at it and saying, we thought that this team had turned a corner, but it's quote unquote, the same old Blue Hens. <laughs> That's what I kept saying in that podcast, right? Yeah. That no matter what you think the talent level is with this team, that they're capable of one of these extremely disappointing results on any given Saturday. Um, you know, just as you could say you could win any game ever again Saturday. Any of these teams in the bottom of the CA, I can go and beat Delaware. And it was example one uh, mm-hmm. in week one against Rhode Island. So that part of it, I think, is still there for the Blue Hens fan base. But do you expect after a 37 nothing win, which is the most convincing win mm-hmm. at Delaware Stadium in quite a while, do you expect a little bit of a rebound from the, the I guess, you know, the the, the, yeah, the fan base and the amount of fans, the energy from the fans coming up this weekend on the 15th. Yeah, I don't really see why not. I mean, the first game, like you said, a letdown, the big Thursday night game, first one of the season against the CAA opponent, and you lose in such heartbreaking way by two points. And then this week, a 37 nothing. If I check my phone and see that we won by 37 nothing, that's really convincing for me to go to the game. Obviously, we don't know what the weather's going to be like. It's been it's gonna, probably going to rain this whole week, so we'll see how Saturday is. But if you're a fan of the Blue Hands, I think there's a reason for you to go out and see this game on Saturday. Was there anything from the Lafayette game that changes your outlook for this team across the season? I remember we talked on Thursday, and you held to that 8-3 and three record, which you predicted mm-hmm. before the season. Um you know, has anything on that front changed? Maybe not record-wise, but just kind of in your overall thoughts or feelings toward this team. Not really. I think I expected going into this game that we were gonna, you know, beat them by pretty decent margin. Thirty-seven, yeah. nothing's pretty decent. Um, I'll stick with my eight and three because I know there's some mixed mixed games in there, and obviously I counted. I mean, rollout wasn't accounted in that those three losses, but games like those happen. Mm-hmm. So, uh, not much has changed. I'm still sticking with eight and three, and I'm still thinking that you know we're gonna have a good season moving forward. Anybody that you look at, offense, defense, or even on the special teams, as a guy that you'd like to see get going that maybe hasn't performed to your preseason expectations through weeks one and two? Uh, I like how everyone's really playing. I I, I want to see. I don't. We didn't really see that much of Joe Walker in the second game, so I still want to see. You know what he can do on the offense side of the ball. But it didn't seem like they did really any of those special yeah. packages with him, right? Yeah, I know we talked about on Thursday how you know how he's such a special player. You get him in open space, he can do whatever he wants. And I feel like, you know, the spark that Lee provided was already there. So I feel like, you know, they didn't give it to Walker as much. But I definitely want to see what he's got moving forward because I think he's definitely a weapon that will be useful to them. All right. So Delaware takes on Cornell this Saturday, the 15th. We'll have Nick Canella and Doug Barron on the coverage for us. The following week, Jake and I will be in North Dakota for Delaware versus North Dakota State. Then it's the open date. And then it's... Nick and Jake. Nick and Jake on the game down in Richmond, another big one. Mm-hmm. Danny Rocco's return to Richmond uh, two years after he left that team after five seasons as head coach there of the Spiders. So three important games coming up in the next four weeks for the Blue Hens, and we'll have coverage of all of them on 91.3 WVUD. For our full sports schedule, go to WVUD.org and go to the sports tab. There you'll find all of the information about all of our broadcasts this fall. And then uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at WVD Sports and on Facebook at WVD Sports for the latest updates. You can follow me at Halvek underscore Brandon on Twitter and Nick at Nick, un- at Nick underscore 1507. All right. 
uh, and we'll be you know, kind of giving our thoughts throughout the season and any other stuff that pops up in the world of sports. I know I was tweeting about Aaron Rodgers yeah, last night. Yeah, um, unreal. <laughs> a ridiculous game from the Packers to come <laughs> back on the Bears. So uh, if, you, if you'd like, you can find us there on Twitter online for our thoughts throughout the week. Uh, anything else for the cause, Nick, before we sign off from the DFR? Nothing much. Just roll hands. Keep it going. All right. For Nick DeLaglio, I'm Brandon Halvek. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening.